this is Bishop Harry Wood and we're coming with um, class three this will be part three of blood of the lamb or the power of the blood uh, we're going to be discussing our lamb today there's a passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 5 verses uh, 5 through 14 and there we definitely see a uh, picture of Christ the lamb at the throne Let's talk about uh, that passage of Scripture a little bit. I'll give the students the opportunity to read that passage uh, in your study time. While Christ was on the earth at the beginning of his earthly ministry, we hear the message of John the Baptist, and that's one of the first uh, proclamations while Jesus was here on the face of the earth that we hear the term the Lamb or the Lamb of God. And in 1 John chapter 1, in verse number 29, uh, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then we find in Revelation chapter 5, where one would acknowledge that Christ is being called Lion and Lamb. And we see the authority that's being spoken of even when... Um, Jacob is speaking to all of his sons before his death in the 49th chapter of the book of uh, Genesis. And in chapter number 49, in verse number 9, we definitely know that uh, Judah is represented by that of the lion, and Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. In verse number 9 of, of uh, Genesis chapter 49, it says, Judah is the lion's whip from the prey my son thou art gone up he stooped down and he crouched as a lion as an old lion who shall arouse him up then number 10 or verse 10 the the skept the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shallow come then uh continues and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, what's important here is how that the authority, even through Jacob speaking to his children through the tribe of the Jew, of Judah, how that Jesus would come forth from that tribe. Now at the throne, we see that he is the lion, which is a ruler, and we see him as the lamb, even as John proclaims in John 1.29, our Lamb of Redemption. When we think of this, one might take thought that the name of Lamb might be used only in respect of Christ's humiliation while here doing His earthly ministry. Now let's think about that thought in perspective of a few things. The New Testament, there's 33 times the name Lamb is used. These are found in 31 passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Out of those 33 passages of Scripture, uh, 30 are found in the book of Revelation. That within itself is amazing. And then, of course, John, uh, the apostle, being the uh, one that uh, penned the book of Revelation, definitely would have been the one uh, that would have penned what John the Baptist said on the Jordan River bank. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And as we go on and look at uh, these uh, these three other passages, um, 
that are mentioned uh, 33 passages um, or 33 times that uh, the word lamb is used out of uh, 31 scriptures. There are again 30 are found in the book of Revelation as we've already stated. So let's look at the other three. Uh, due to time it would be uh, impossible to cover all of those but we will touch on some things as we go along. But the three, we want to highlight those, uh, those three passages <coughs> excuse me, that are not in the book of Revelation and definitely the first one would have been John 1, 29. Now, what I believe that's important, and we may have already discussed this, <coughs> excuse me, or mentioned this at another time, John the Baptist declares, and if you go back and look at that passage of Scripture in, in John 1, 29, and it, it gives us the indication, uh, and the next day, uh, or the next day, John seeth Jesus coming. <coughs> so we're seeing it's speaking of the time of the year would have been that of possibly the Day of Atonement. Uh, then we find also that Jesus uh, being baptized uh, by John himself earlier uh, would have been Passover's or fulfilling Passover's road to the cross. Then we find in John 136, uh, let's turn there for just a moment and look at that passage of Scripture. Uh, there again, I think there's some reference there that John the Apostle is making that we can make some uh, tinge to because of the fact uh, that we're discussing these passages that use the term of the Lamb. The Lamb. In verse 36 of the first chapter of John, it says, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, um, I believe that uh, this would be even further uh, reference to the Day of Atonement that would come when Jesus would definitely be that Passover Lamb. And then, of course, he would fulfill uh, that of the Day of Atonement also. Uh, Jesus' baptism that would have been prior to this would have actually... Um, instituted righteousness. Now we know that Jesus was sinless, but yet those that came to John to be baptized were those that confessed their sin and then went into the river and were baptized. Um, we find that uh, also uh, Jesus became the, sh uh, the scapegoat um, and that was to remove guilt. It was to remove guilt. So, um, at the time of the Day of Atonement, the uh, scapegoat would have been taken out of the city, out into the open, and, and uh, more than likely would have been devoured. And this was symbolic of the sin being taken away. And then in Acts chapter number 8, and verse number 32, is another place of those three, or the last of the three, uh, other places that are mentioned of the 33 where uh, there's a reference to uh, Jesus and or the Lamb. And we find in verse number 32 of the 8th uh, chapter that it says these words, The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened not his mouth. 
Now, we see that uh, what's being repeated here um, in this time that uh, Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading uh, out of that of Isaiah's writings. So we have an Old Testament um, reference or foundation here that's being spoken um, by uh, Philip to uh, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch that uh, um, had approached uh, Philip and later we know that uh, he received Christ and was even uh, baptized uh, there uh, at this time. Now all these references or all these reference him as a sacrificial lamb, these three uh, that we've spoken of out of uh, John 1.29 and John 1.36 and Acts uh, chapter 8 and verse 32. They show us Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and that came in lowliness or in meekness and definitely in obedience to his Father's will. Now, as we begin to think about a few of the passages that we're going to mention or a few things out of Revelation, in the 11th verse of the Revelation chapter 13 speaks of the Lamb. Now, we've got to understand, and this is a thorough study that could be taken up, but just for the sake of uh, looking at the uh, passage here and putting it in some contextual of importance, let us understand that the 11th verse of Revelation chapter 13 speaks of the Lamb. Uh, this chapter speaks of the false Lamb, the Antichrist, the false prophet. Verse number um, 11, it says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Yeah, it says like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So we can see the um, we can see where uh, Satan is trying to uh, actually imitate uh, to be deceptive and so there's the reference there that we need to uh, consider in reference to the false lamb uh, the Antichrist, uh, Antichrist. Uh, the remainder of the 29 references of the 33 come out of the book of Revelation as we stated before and, of course, one that I think that's important when we look at the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, uh, let's read it. And I beheld low in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, here's some things to consider with that being read, um, it establishes the truth that Christ the Lamb has completed the sacrificial office and now is in the presence of every creature that inhabits heaven. So this is speaking past tense, but it's speaking even present, but definitely that that will be future. We know that Jesus is the Lamb and He is placed upon the throne. There will be the time that we will see uh, chapter 5 come alive in the, in the present tense of that that we, in the future. Uh, the horns, it talks about that there's uh, horns here, uh, the seven horns. 
they show forth authority and we always know that Christ is omnipotent and that's one of the things that is so wonderful about this concept of him being the lamb and yet the lamb ship shows forth his humility shows forth his redemption but yet it shows authority in the fact that he came to uh, take care of sin came to take care of our reconciliation and also what's different from the old covenant and all the lambs that were sacrificed all of the different sacrifices um, we see that none of those could ever acquit or take away the guilt and Christ can that's part of the omnipotent the almighty power and then we see that there's seven eyes that reveals the that Christ is uh, his uh, omniscience um, he's not only all-powerful but he's all-knowing he's all-knowing so he sees all he knows all and then fourthly uh, there's seven spirits they reveal Christ as omnipresent his presence is everywhere because of his spirit then fifthly Christ as the Lamb has been exalted to the rightful place upon the throne. Now, that's what we definitely see taking place in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. I encourage you to read it, study it further in depth. But we do find two passages of Scripture. Uh, one of them we know that the Apostle Paul wrote, and the other one we believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But in Philippians chapter number 2, and let's look at verses number 8 through 11. This is speaking of his exaltation. This is speaking about Jesus being exalted uh, to the rightful place, back to the throne. We see in verse number 8 of the second chapter of Philippians, it says this, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, he, and became obedient unto death. So there's the humility of him becoming 100% man even the death of the cross. So there's the obedience um, as the Son of God. Verse number 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. God is the one that exalted Jesus back. The Bible says that God himself raised Jesus from the dead. And it goes on and it says, He gave him a name which is above every name. And then verse number 10, that at the name of Yeshua, or the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is going to definitely be 100% fulfilled in time. He is God. He is the King. He is the reigning lamb he is that that is of the authority he's the one that has been raised his name is exalted even by his own father so how important is this it's very important we understand who christ is in hebrews chapter number one and let's look at verse number three and verse number four of hebrews chapter one it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had 
by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high, and being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So we can see how that there is um, the fact that in the past tense he has purged our sins in the very present and that that's going to even be beneficial to the future he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high this is where Jesus is right now and he has uh, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they um, he's done his work and he went back to the Father, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we're thankful for that today because it definitely speaks of our benefit of his redemptive work for us. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 8, we find these words uh, because there was time for a book to be opened. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now this is something that's going to take place around the throne. There's the four beasts and there's the four and twenty elders. And they're around the throne. And uh, one of them having one of them having harps um, and having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So there's a lot there that is uh, being said about uh, that that is even future tense, about how the even the, the, the benefit of the saints' prayers that have been prayed throughout the ages, of uh, those that are assembled around the throne, uh, the four beasts and the 24 elders around the throne, they're worshiping the Lamb. And then they give praise upon the harps. So there's instruments that are, or string instruments that are being, uh, being used to bring worship around the throne. There's the incense of fragrance, is the vials that contain the prayers of the saints. Just think about that. The very prayers of the saints is a very incense, it's a very fragrance in the nostril of God. How important is our prayers to Him upon the throne? The worship by these is in praise for our redemption. There is a praise because of the redemption work that's taking place there. Verse number uh, 9 and 10 gives us the choir selection that these with the saints will sing unto the Lamb. And I believe in our last lesson we talked about that a little bit, how that it's going to talk about how that he's worthy. He's worthy. And I'm going to turn there because I think it would be only appropriate just to look at that for just a moment in the fifth chapter. We're going to see the song. Verse number eight, it says, And when he had taken the book, the four uh, beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them their harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Then we're going to hear the theme song. We're going to hear heaven's anthem. And I can only believe right now 
that amazing grace is the church anthem as we are now in this grace period of time where man can be redeemed by the work that Christ has done. But at the throne, around the throne, this is what the song is going to be. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thou art thereof. For thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. What a hymn, what an anthem of praise that will take place in the heavens in the near future. I know there's worship around the throne right now, but just think about it. Heaven and those of us that have been earthly upon the fact that we take on immortality, we're going to be standing in the presence of that of the throne one day worshiping. Glory to God. We find, as we continue to, to read here, verse 9 and 10 gives us the choir selection, as I've already begun to emphasize, that these with the saints will sing unto the Lamb. Look at verse number 11. Look at verse number 11. It says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands and thousands. And they continue to sing, Worthy is the Lamb. The angels themselves that don't know what redemption is, but because they know that the Lamb is worthy, and they've stood still when Jesus was on the cross, in that moment of Him dying, they stood still, but yet they knew who He was. They're going to join in with us, and they're going to sing that He's the worthy one. Can you just get excited about this? He is the worthy one. He's the one that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse number 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I sing blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Folks, it's not going to stop. It's going to be that 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 commences, and it'll be a continual worship throughout that of eternity. And verse number 14 says, And the four beasts said, Amen. They said, Let it be so. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. We're going to become in that, we're going to be joining that assembly, and we're going to worship God in a concert that will be throughout the eternals. Thank God for that today. Amen. Um, let's move on. I've read ahead a little bit. Uh, then we find how that, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to read this on page 62. Uh, blessings and honor, we've already said that. That's part of the scripture. But in verse 12 and 13, uh, there's this continual of concert of praise in heaven with Christ the Lamb being exalted and adored. The worship seems to be timeless and continuous by every inhabitant of heaven and earth. All creation joins in or hears the exaltation. This is powerful, folks. 
Then you can go on and you can read in the sixth chapter. There's verses that are important. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Then verse number 16. These are some of the passages of scriptures that dealing with that of the Lamb. And verse number 16. And said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So we see the authority, we see the power, we see the omnipotence, we see the fear, we see that of judgment coming on those that are attempting to hide their face in the midst of that of great tribulation. Verse number 1 and 16 speaks of when Christ the Lamb has opened the book and loosed the seals that bring the beginning of tribulation sorrows. Then in verse number 9 of the 7th chapter, After this I heard, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. When we hear of something similar to this, we find that they had palm leaves and they were throwing their clothes. They were inaugurating Jesus uh, as he entered Jerusalem on that day, we call it Palm Sunday. I believe if you go and you study it out, it would have been on the Sabbath. It would have been on Saturday. And then Jesus by Tuesday, Wednesday of the next week, uh, getting ready to be uh, the Lamb of God being crucified. But there again, let's stay within the contents of reading this scripture. Uh, it says in verse number 17, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into fountains or living fountains of water and God shall wipe all their tears from their eyes. Folks, I'm telling you, in the midst of all this that's going to take place, I'm going to tell you the saints of God are going to be robed. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be exalting the Lamb of God and there's going to be where uh, He is going to feed us. He's going to clothe us. He's going to refresh us. He's going to wipe away our tears. He's going, to re he's going to wipe every one of any sorrow, any memory of sorrow uh, as we are around the throne. Verse 9, 10, 14, and 17 of this seventh chapter speaks of those saints that have been redeemed during the tribulation. There will be some. They will lose their life. It, the number couldn't be counted every nation it says they will be clothed in righteousness verse 10 and 12 proclaims the worship of these saints take notice of their proclamation and there again i think it's important because we see the significance of who jesus is in these verses it says salvation to our god which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb there's a sevenfold praise that's going forth in verse number 12. It says in verse number uh, number 12, it says, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne unto the Lamb of uh, uh, the Lamb. In verse number uh, 12, uh, let's look at verse number 12 for just a moment. In uh, the seventh chapter, I believe it is, of the book of Revelation, uh, verse number 12. It says, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever 
and ever. We can look at those words there, the sevenfold. There was the blessing and the glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, power and might. There's your seven things. And first of all, it's being said, let it be so before those seven uh, emphasis of praise are, are brought forth. It says, let it be so. Let there be blessing. Let there be glory. There, let there be wisdom. Let there be thanksgiving. Let there be honor. Let there be power. And let there be might. And then he goes on and it says, to who? Unto God. And then it declares that it never cease. It says it be that that's perpetual. It's that that's forever and ever. And then again, the statement, let it be so, or amen, is spoken again in this sevenfold praise in verse number 12. In verse number 17, we find that the Lamb will, be, will take personal care of those that have been martyred during the tribulation. Look at verse number 17 of uh, the seventh uh, chapter. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is a real shepherd taking care. This is a real shepherd. Here we find the Lamb that's going to feed, He's going to water, He's going to clothe, and He is going to wipe away their tears praise god for that hallelujah in revelation 12 11, we have spoke of this verse before but we cannot leave this one out when we're talking about the lamb and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death in chapter 7 excuse me or in lesson 7 we discussed about this this is another scripture that makes reference to the tribulation era. The scripture would apply to the believer of today also, so let's keep that in mind. It still applies to us today. Let's look at how uh, this truth applies. We again must acknowledge the sacrificial work of redemption only wrought through and by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for that. Then secondly, we, sh we see revealed to us that the believer is challenged to live in the promise of the life that is an overcomer. Anyone that has had not only their sins atoned, not uh, just uh, atoned and then covered, but they have been acquitted. I'm going to tell you, that makes you more than an overcomer when you're acquitted. You are not guilty. You are not guilty. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. We find again how important that it is. We uh, see revealed to us. The believer is challenged. And I can't say this enough. To see ourselves as an overcomer. Jesus said that in the world we're going to have trouble. But he said, be of good cheer in John 16, 33, that we've already mentioned a couple lessons back. But how that we are overcomers because he's already overcome. Let's talk about the word of their testimony that's in this passage of Scripture in Revelation 12, 11. 
This is actually the believer's legal testimony counts more before the throne than Satan's accusation. Think about that. When we make this declaration that we have overcome and how we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and we speak what the Word of God says, the Word of our testimony, it has more credence, it has more legal uh, strength than that of the accusations that the enemy makes. And the uh, object of their testimony is the finished work, and the object of their testimony is the finished work of Christ on their behalf. So when it's all said, when it's all done, what Christ did, his finished work is the established word of testimony at the throne that we are acquitted, those that will by faith believe. The word that is being spoken of here is Logos. It's the divine expression of the very word of God. The work of redemption is God's divine plan, his expression to us. We find the truth of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. I encourage you to read those verses again uh, in your hearing. But we do see some things that we need to speak of that we can acknowledge from that passage of Scripture. The power of our redemption is through and by His blood. Our testimony is the witness of agreement with God's eternal plan of redemption. His divine expression, or the Logos, to which we become His witness, witnesses, proclaims the message abroad to the world. Hallelujah for that. Our testimony declares through His redemption, we have been crucified with Him, put to death, but made alive through the eternal Spirit's work, through the atoning work of the precious blood. Our testimony declares that we are witnesses that would become a martyr, if need be, for the cause of our faith. Folks, that's a commentary within itself on, he, on, on uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 11. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8, it says these words, And all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There will be those that will, uh, the Antichrist will have his faithful followers. We find only those that have their names written in the book of life are true worshipers of the only one and true God. So we're going to have the false and we're going to have the true. In Revelation 13, 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. The Antichrist will have the false prophet that will imitate the lamb to deceive to um, to deceive those to worship the Antichrist. So we see what's going to take place during the tribulation. Revelation 14.1, it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand having his father's name <coughs> written in their foreheads. Excuse me. <coughs> Let me get a drink of water. Let's look at Revelation 14.4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. 
These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. This is a confirmation of the 144,000 saints during the tribulation. The Lamb is going to stand up on Mount Zion, and they, they will have his Father's name sealed on their foreheads. They will keep themselves righteously pure. And there's study there that we could go into how that these are going to be the 144 witnesses. They're going to be Jews. They're going to be from the tribes of Israel. And there's a study within that with itself of, of those tribes. But remember how there's going to be those that are going to be faithful. But yet there's going to be those that are not going to be faithful. And those that are going to go after the Antichrist as we've already spoke of uh, in verse uh, number um Eight and uh, verse number 11 of this uh, 13th chapter. In uh, Revelation 14.10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture unto the cup of his indication, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Warning of judgment that will come upon those that reject the gospel during the tribulation. So here right now we have a warning to those that need to heed the redemptive work of the Lamb because there will be a judgment that will come upon those that reject the gospel during the tribulation. Revelation 15:3. And they sing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy work. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou art ways, thou king of saints. We continue to see how that there's going to be worship. Worship continues in heaven around the throne, around the throne to the Christ, the Lamb. We see the similarity of that that took place after Passover after they crossed the Red Sea in Exodus 15 verses 1 through 21 there was a great celebration of worship the house of Israel had Miriam danced they played the tambourine there was the song of Moses and that is recorded there in the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus in uh, Revelation chapter number 17 in Revelation number 17 uh, excuse me, let's look at Revelation 15:3. We read just a moment ago, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, What I see here is there's an indication of what was sung when they crossed the Red, Red Sea will be sung, the song that Moses penned, and then there will be the song of the Lamb that we discussed earlier in this passage of scripture so there'll be these two great songs that will be sung around the throne as we look at revelation chapter 17 and verse 14 and these shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is lord of lords and king of kings and they that are with him with, with him called and chosen faithful there's going to be those that war against the lamb the antichrist and his kingdom. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, we're going to be around that of the marriage supper, 
But let's see what's going to take place. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. In the ninth verse, we find it says, And saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. We find it how the Lamb of God, the the very uh, bridegroom, the bride is going to be with her bridegroom. And we're going to be around the marriage supper while things are going on on this earth. But God is going to take and he's going to bring judgment upon those that are going to have a desire to war against him even yet. In verses uh, 7 and 9 uh, are the blessed ones that have been with the Lamb during the tribulation. His church is the bride. It is the marriage of marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride the Lamb's wife. We're going to see the marriage announcement. or That's what we see, the marriage announcement here. And then the bride that inhabits the New Jerusalem with her bridegroom, the Lamb. We find that this will be where the honeymoon begins. Revelation 21:14, And the wall of the city had twelve fountains, and in the midst are in the names of the twelve apostles are the twelve apostles of the Lamb the names of the twelve apostles the original twelve apostles are the foundation Christ the Lamb is the chief cornerstone so remember how we've talked about how fitly the building is formed together how that Jesus is that chief cornerstone he is the foundation we find the apostles and the prophets, how that they're part of that uh, foundation. We see how that God is going to honor the fact of, of that, of them round the throne and uh, uh, the foundation uh, in Christ the Lamb is the chief cornerstone. How the apostles are part of the foundation. I'm sorry, I looked up and lost my place on the page. I apologize. And then in Revelation 21, 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now that's wonderful. That is beautiful. I mean, we see the foundation. We see the cornerstone. And now it tells us there's no temple itself seen there. Let's look at verse number 23 of the 21st chapter because we need to expound further what's going on here. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. In verse 22 and 23, it speaks of our unity with the Lamb. This is very important for us. We've got a foundation. We've got a chief cornerstone. We've got... Uh, it says no temple there, but let's let's figure out what's going on here. Uh, and he's the light. Uh, the lamb is the light thereof. It speaks of our unity with the lamb, verse 22 and 23. As a bride takes on the name of her bridegroom and becomes one, 
here we see that glorious hope that we shall become what we shall become with our Lamb. Here we want to understand things will be as before creation. The light, the true light shineth in us and shall and this shall bring glory to God. We find in verse number 27 of the 21st chapter, and there shall be in no wise and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because of who our Lamb is, there shall not be any sin or unrighteousness. Number two, we are those that are in the in His book, the book or the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. In Revelation number 22 and verse 1, it tells us, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. We continue to see that there's life proceeding out of that of the throne out of the throne there's a continual process of life that's coming through and by our lamb we find that calvary flowed the precious blood and acknowledged the water's witness that brings forth life we see what took place at calvary revelation 22 3 and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him let's read on the lamb became the lamb because he became accursed and bearing our sin he has restored all things before the fall of man in the garden of eden so there's been a 100 total restoration that god is going to take and do let's look at point number two on page 66 now we are before his throne to serve him with the timeless concert of praise that we have seen from the four and twenty elders and the saints of every nation, the angels, and to all that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our Christ, our Lord, our Jesus, the Savior. Let's look at some central truths that over overview what we have studied. Central truths. Point A on page 67, the blood or the power of the blood is power over sin and the power of the enemy. B, our redemption, sanctification, and deliverance comes through the power of the blood of the Lamb. C, the Lamb of God is the final sacrifice, the gentle Lamb through, I'm sorry, the Lamb of God is the final sacrifice and the gentle Lamb of humanity. Point D, through the Lamb of God, we have a blessed hope of the future. And then E, we now know the name of Christ in heaven present, that's presented at the throne. It is called, He is called the Lamb. He is called the Lamb. Think about this for just a moment. We can go back and look at the fact that there's no temple there, but we take on his identity 
because he is our he is our bridegroom the lamb through adam we are adam adam or eve is eve adam through christ we are named the bride of christ lamb think about that we take on his identity we take on his name praise god for that hallelujah we're going to close at this time and we have one more lesson on the power of the blood and we will come back to that uh, very soon i hope that you've received a blessing out of this as we close with our lesson of class three part three god bless you of the power of the blood